Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly investigation into the royal family brought to you from Mail Plus HQ right here in Kensington. I'm Jo Elvin and let's kick things off by hearing from the latest news from the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who's on the south coast today covering a very special royal engagement. Rebecca, welcome to you. Hi Jo, you right? Yes, very well, thanks. We'll be discussing why you're there in a second, but first I wanted to talk to you about the Queen. Tell us, is she on the mend? She is very much on the mend, and I wish I could tell you how I know. I can't. I'm not allowed. Um, oh, but you're so mysterious. Me, uh, no, and, I, and, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it to um, to big uh, myself up. But there's just she. She is on the mend. She's doing much, much better. Still very much rest and light duties um but yes very much on the men oh that's good to hear and her speech to the cop 26 gathering was very powerful and seemed to cement the family's commitment to the issue would you say hugely i thought it was a masterful uh piece of diplomacy i have to say because obviously we wanted to see her and she was looking pretty well if you know uh, and it's, it's people wanted to kind of see her in the flesh, so to speak, to reassure them. Um, and uh, it was very clever because she obviously soothed the furrowed brows of those making the big decisions at COP by saying, look, I'm a statesman too. I understand these are difficult decisions, but I have every faith in you to do the right thing. I thought it was a really clever piece of writing. Mm. And uh, she also spoke very very movingly about her own family's commitment to the environment and about her dear late husband uh, the duke of edinburgh and how very proud she was of her son prince charles and her grandson prince william uh, for taking up that mantle i thought it was brilliant speech mm. now let's talk about megan briefly who's been getting even more political it seems as she's been calling republican senators she has. Apparently, she's been calling senators from across the political spectrum. The issue she was phoning about is not actually contentious in itself. It's actually got widespread support in the states across the political spectrum. And it's about getting paid leave for parents and paid leave for those who are sick. But, of course, the fact that she is taking it upon herself to ring senators, to, to urge them to support this legislation, she will be accused of political activism. And it will only add fuel to the fire of those who believe that she has political ambitions of her own one day. Mm. Now, speaking of fire, um, things do seem to be moving on in the Prince Andrew civil case in the US. What, what's the latest with that? So I was on a conference call yesterday with the United States. It was a court hearing. And basically, Prince Andrew has been told to expect trial on the civil action being brought against him by Virginia Joffre in the autumn next year. And we also had it confirmed for the first time that Andrew will be expected to give a deposition in the case. So, and that will be on oath. So we will expect to hear him swear an oath and speak frankly and openly about any dealings he's had with Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Joffrey. It's extraordinary times. Now, before you go, I want to find out what you're up to today with your very best friend in the whole world, 
the Duchess of Cornwall. What are you up to down there? You're a big tease, Joe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it actually has been, you know, the royal, day of royal reporting is actually very varied, but today has been a really fun morning. And I've been on the set of ITV's Grace, which is a crime series based on the books of Peter James, uh, starring John Sim. And uh, Camilla's here because actually these Roy Grace detective books are one of her recommended books on her Duchess of Cornwall's reading room, which has been phenomenally successful on Instagram. And, and Camilla's a real fangirl. She told me today she has read every Roy Grace book from cover to cover, absolutely loves them, and watches the series, watched the previous series of Grace. So she was in her element today, and she turned producer. She was watching the um, filming as it was going on on head phones and got to speak to some of the stars as well. Thank you very much, Rebecca English. Let's bring in my panel now. Joining me and the Daily Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden, this week is a Powers Confidential Virgin, <laughs> Dr. Ed Owens, historian and commentator. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm going to come to you first, um, though. Richard, what did you make of Her Majesty's speech? I thought it was a very um, profound and um, moving, actually, speech. And it really, I found it really refreshing after we've had the sort of... Um, you know, billionaires like Jeff Bezos and his gas-guzzling rockets lecturing us at COP26, to have the Queen bringing things down to earth and really... Hang on a minute, how did she get there? <laughs> well, on, via video, via video. Yeah. You know, we had all the dignitaries standing there watching yeah. her video recording and, and she was just making the point that they need to act like statesmen at this conference and make decisions that will reverberate down the generations mm. and she made that very well. And it, it, was, it was moving. I mean, she didn't look very well. I thought you could see that the Queen has been ill. We haven't had, we've had very little information about it, but I thought she looked tired. Um, I thought she looked like she has lost weight. And then when she talked about, she made a reference to knowing that we won't be here forever kind of thing. I, I did find that moving. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we wait to hear more, but she was resting and it was good of her to appear at all, frankly, mm. I think. And what did you think, Ed? She did seem to be drawing on her vast experience of dealing with multiple world leaders over the years. Mm. Is she's that been your on, sense? Exactly. She's been on the throne almost 70 years. She's uh, engaged with some of the most high-profile politicians uh, across the world over, that, over the course of that period. And I think she was saying to them, you know, you've got to put the politics aside and you've mm. got to think about tomorrow. That reference to, as, as Richard said, creating a better world for our children and our children's children, I think was quite moving. It was quite profound. Uh, and she's offering that kind of moral leadership mm. that she's been so good at offering uh, throughout the course of her reign. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's um, quickly talk about Meghan for a minute. Richard, she's spoken about her political ambitions before. Rebecca talking about her there. And this week, her lobbying has seems to have taken on a whole new level. <laughs> it's, it's just so fascinating watching um, Meghan's career progress because uh, I've always thought she was um, set for politics and that really <laughs> does seem to be borne out. You know, I mean, they will have hated not being at COP26. I mean, just a chance to talk to the whole world, you know, with... Prince William there, and one thing in the Queen's speech, which I think will have been genuinely um, hurtful for Harry, was no reference to him. The Queen talked about how um, that her husband's environmental concerns were being um, built on 
by um, his son, Prince Charles, and by his grandson, Prince William. And no mention of Harry, even though the environment is something that Harry's felt very strongly about through the years, has spoken about, and he's even launched initiatives like Travelist to try and, um, you know, do something um, for the environment. So mm. I think that will have been hard for him. But, Ed, how do you think uh, royal members of the family can navigate which political issues are okay to talk about and which ones aren't. This is interesting because the climate crisis is something that there's a broad consensus behind now that we need to deal with this uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a global, as a global people. And the, the issue, therefore, is, if you like, above politics in some respects. Everybody can get behind this idea that we must make uh, big changes. And yet, at the same time, the royal family, they can offer, if you like, this supporting role advocating that we must make changes, but they're not going to be the people to solve mm. the climate crisis. That's got to come from governments, uh, so they can, they, can, they can continue with this advocacy, but the, it's the governments that need to step up and, and make the difficult decisions that are going to affect us all in order to come up with the solutions that will save the planet. Imagine if Prince Charles was in charge. It would be <laughs> completely different, wouldn't it? it I mean, he would be... He would have been doing this for years. Well, I do think what's so new is this story today about Meghan cold-calling Republican senators in the, in the US and using um, her title, saying, hi, it's the Duchess of Sussex here, is, is, is very interesting development. And this is something that Meghan Harry couldn't do if they were working members of the British royal family. It is constitutionally improper mm. to be engaging with politicians, to be trying to shift opinion uh, and, in, and use your influence, your privilege, your power to try and get your, your way in terms of political change. But do you mm. think that Republican senators or any American politicians feel like they need to sit up and take notice because the Duchess of Sussex has, has called them? Do you think that that has power over them? In, at, to some extent, you know, it's nice to be called by important people, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. it's no, no doubt it's, they, they must be charmed by the fact that she's Taking the, uh, taking the initiative, making the effort to get in touch with them. Mm. Uh, I think whether it's going to change their opinion, that's the key thing. Well, let's turn our attention to Prince Andrew now, whose legal battles continue apace in America, and he continues to deny all allegations against him. We heard from Rebecca just now, but before we speak to our panel, let's get the analysis of the Daily Mail's editor-at-large, Richard Kay. I think the gloves are off. I mean, after months, it seems, of absolute silence on Andrew's part, he's n not really engaged with the whole process ever since the famous Newsnight interview. And um, I think, you know, in a hope, really, the whole thing would just go away. Well, it hasn't gone away. We knew it wouldn't go away. And he's hired these um, very aggressive, confrontational lawyers who are used to dealing with celebrities who find themselves in hot water. And their stance has been, no, we go on the attack. And so in this last-minute deposition, submission, as it is, by Andrew, in which he's calling for the judge in New York to throw out the charges against him by Virginia Dufresne, um, the lawyers have not pulled their punches. The danger for Andrew is, and it's already happened, frankly, is that he looks like he's victim-shaming uh, Virginia Roberts, who, who, let's be absolutely clear about this, is most definitely a victim. There is a, a sort of... A view to take here that Andrew's lawyers are saying look we're not saying that she was a, a bad woman but what they've done is that they have included with their submission articles or at least one article I think from a New York newspaper in which former friends of Virginia's 
um, make a, a number of allegations about her, about her being um, uh, sex-hungry, uh, that she worked to procure girls for Epstein anyway, and that she's looking for another payday. And that centrally is the Andrew case. He, he is going to have to start preparing himself for an interrogation. Um, we, we now know uh, from New York this week that uh, there has been a development. Um, the judge has indicated that there can be a trial to hear the case sometime between September and December of next year. Um, if it gets that far, of course, Andrew will still be hoping um, that his lawyers can succeed in getting the judge to throw it out. But if it doesn't happen, then yeah, he's going to have some questions to answer. Returning to my panel now, and Ed, coming to you first. This punchy stuff from Andrew. Is it a risk, though, that the remedy is worse than the disease for him? Yeah, as we've just heard, the gloves are off, and I think, frankly, this is a low blow. Mm. Uh, he's dragging up this, this individual's personal history, looking at Virginia Giuffre's uh, past before uh, she was involved with Epstein and then accusing her, essentially, of being complicit in that operation. Um, who's advising Andrew? Who is suggesting that this is uh, the right moral line to take uh, in this case? I wonder if it's a desperate only line to take. Mm, I think it could be. Yeah. Uh, I, d I think this is, this to me smacks of desperation. Mm. Uh, where is this case going? He's trying to get it thrown out by the judge. Uh, I, was, I was struck uh, when I first read the reports uh, about this, this change in tact. Mm. I mean, Richard, we've talked a bit about this before, but the reputational risk to the wider royal family on the back of this, particularly how it's playing out in America, must be of concern at the palace. I think it's a real problem. I mean, when we saw the video recording that the Queen made to COP26, I think um, the fact she, you know, doesn't look well, you know, could be in, in good part because of the stress she's been caused by Prince Andrew and also continuing aggro she gets from Harry and Meghan. Well, she's, you know, and then her husband died. She's had mm. yeah. quite a year. I mean, yeah. what a stressful year. But, mm. you know, this is a terrible headache, the Prince Andrew case. And remember, this is, should be a year, next year, 2023, we should be celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. You know, what an achievement. It should be such a joyous occasion. But we're going to have this um, civil case revolting case it's going to be in America mm -hmm. with with Prince Andrew trying to prove um, how um, you know, dodgy his accuser is. I mean, it's it's going to be horrific. might be a speculation too far, but do either of you think that any of that point weighs on Andrew's mind? Do you think he feels bad about bringing all of this mess into his mum's life? Clearly it is causing mum stress, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, he's, he's behaving in such a way that I think plays sort of scant regard to uh, what the, op the operation that Charles and the Queen are currently trying to manage. They are uh, preparing for a succession. It's going to happen in a, in a couple of years, maybe a few, a few more than that. But they are trying at the moment to consolidate what the monarchy's doing, to sort of like steer the ship in a, in a slightly new direction, and we've got distraction from Andrew uh, and these headlines, uh, as Richard just said, mm. next year are going to prove a massive distraction from the Platinum Jubilee. It does make you wonder why Netflix as the crown ever had to sort of fictionalise or embellish anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the real life's quite something, but we will be continuing to cover that story as it develops, of course. But one of the many issues arising from Andrew's hiatus from family duties is a constitutional one. 
as it leaves a lack of senior royals able to step in for the Queen should she be unable to carry out her duties. The Mail on Sunday's assistant editor, Kate Manzi, has been covering this story and she explains the challenges the royals face over this and who could be in line to step in. So at the moment we've, we've got the Queen... We know that she's been unwell, she's had a night in hospital, but the palace aides are really keen to make clear that she's still attending to her duties of state. So you've got a situation here where you've got a 95-year-old monarch, she's still able to do the red boxes, so inside the red box you've got all those documents that she needs to sign constitutionally to keep Parliament running essentially. So although the Queen doesn't have any decision-making power, she has a really important role because in order to pass um, bills through the House of Parliament, they need royal assent. So they don't need the Queen to say this is a good idea or a bad idea, but she does need to kind of rubber stamp these bills. If she's unwell or she's abroad and she can't do this, um, she's not got to that stage yet, which is important to point out. She can still do these core duties as head of state. But if it gets to that point, uh, by law, under the Regency Act, there are four what's called councillors of state. So they are listed as Prince Charles, Prince William, Prince Harry and Prince Andrew. Now we've got a problem here because Prince Harry isn't domiciled in the UK so that naturally rules him out by, by the rules of, of the agreement and he's not taking part in royal duties as we know. Then you've got Prince Andrew who's facing a legal case in the US. He's not undertaking royal duties either. So in order to enact the royal assent you would need at least two of these councillors of state to sign these documents on behalf of the Queen. That just leaves Charles and William so that would mean that if the Queen became more unwell and was unable to carry out these duties, you would need Charles and William together to sign, to give the royal assent to the bills passing through Parliament that enable the government to, to, to run Britain. So what do we do? I suppose the next thing would be to bring in the Duchess of Cornwall, which has been suggested to me that at some point that will happen. So when Charles becomes King, the Duchess of Cornwall, as his consort, will automatically become a councillor of state anyway. The Queen is quite clear that she wants to be seen. She was out driving uh, recently. She recorded the video message for COP26, even though the doctors advised her not to go and travel up to Glasgow in person. So this is really, really tricky territory because it will need the Queen to presumably give a nod, but it will have to go through Parliament as well. So it's not a quick process. Um, but I think they will, be, they will be seriously looking at what happens if. Let's get the thoughts from our historian. Now, Ed, this seems to be clearly a major issue for the royal family and one that they will want to sort out quickly now. Yeah, it is. Uh, not having enough senior royals to, if you like, uh, step in for the Queen uh, if she's, she's too ill to, to be involved in the day-to-day -day business of running the monarchy. This is a problem, uh, and there's been this gradual downsizing uh, of, the, of the British royal family, and it raises sort of bigger questions over what does, what does the future of monarchy look like mm. in terms of the, the family group uh, involved in its operation. 
Richard, do you think that there's an argument for getting on the phone to Harry? <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd absolutely love it, wouldn't he? If, you know, oh, really? It's <laughs> not the impression I was getting. <laughs> if the yeah. royal family come back begging, you yeah. know, please come back from Montecito. Or demanding, I was wondering. Well, well, we, need, yeah. we need you back, but no, I think he really is the last person, actually, who'll be um, <laughs> getting the call. I think there's plenty of others who can step into roles if needed. Obviously we've got the Cambridges but we've mm. also got um, Duchess of Cornwall could but um, then Princess Anne will always do her duty. Um, you know she carries out lots of duties um, for the Queen already like investitures and this type of thing so mm. I, I really don't think there'll be any need for that desperate call to California. <laughs> but do you think um, Ed with you know obviously famously now Charles has been wanting to slim down the monarchy mm. for many years and that seems to be the perceived plan but will will that have to change or will it have to change the way that the royal family works going a, forward? There are several reasons why Charles has sought to, uh, to, to, to begin the downsizing of the monarchy. That's because there are people like his brother, for example, who are liabilities that raise questions over the operation of the monarchy, uh, can threaten to bring it into disrepute. He would rather it had revolved around that core set of royals, uh, originally uh, his two trusty lieutenants, William and Harry. Unfortunately, since Harry and Meghan's departure, it has kind of thrown that plan mm. into jeopardy. Uh, there will be a rethinking. Uh, and we've seen this with the Wessexes, for example. They've been drafted in to undertake uh, new forms, new, new royal duties. Although that's gone a bit quiet again lately. It's gone a bit quiet. Yeah. Um, but you have to think the future of monarchy needs, needs people to be doing things, to be engaging with communities, to be, to be investing, uh, overseeing those events. So, yeah, they, they are going to have to call on, on, on other people, I'm sure of that. What is generally the age that a royal child becomes somebody who steps up is that something we reconsider the the, the entry age for <laughs> prince george is clearly desperate for prince george yeah, yeah. Get out there and start in his shorts in his shorts yeah i mean well, yeah. we, let's look at the, the example of, of William and Harry. It was, it was sort of post-university, post-military service. That was seen as a rite of passage that they had to go through. Uh, famously, William also spent time with, uh, with sea, the Sea Rescue uh, Service as well, mm. the, the helicopter service. Um, and after that, he dedicated himself more fully to those public responsibilities. So I think it's sort of mid, middle 20s. Uh, so it's a long, oh, a, a we've got a long way, way yeah. to go yet. We've got a long way to go What yet. about you, Richard? Who do you want to see? stepping up to the plate. I've always been a big supporter of um, Princesses Beatrice and usually. Oh, you, you have, know, yes. I think they could, they'll always step Only in. Only because you think they're fun for your diary column. If needed. But the problem is they are being a bit tarnished by their dad, aren't they? So, um, <laughs> no, I don't think there's any realistic prospect of them doing much. But, but honestly, the royal family does have lots of candidates. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the problem is Prince Charles always wanted to slim down the, the monarchy, which I don't know if it's a good idea or not. I mean, there's a big argument for having more members so that more people in, around Britain can meet a member of the royal family and there can be more patronages. If it's very small, then does it lose its whole raison d'etre? I'm not sure. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. It'll mm. be, let's watch this space. I'm sure we'll be talking about that loads more over the coming weeks. But that is all we have time for, I'm afraid. But my thanks to Rebecca English, Richard Kay, Dr Ed Owens, Richard Eden, and of course to you for watching. We will see you next week. Goodbye.